Welcome to a tech moment on Cannabis Tech. I'm your host, Christina Etter. In this podcast, we take just a few minutes to talk about some of the exciting science and technology that's changing and driving the cannabis and hemp industries forward. And today I'm really excited to have this guest on because he really kind of has his fingers in a plethora of technology advancements in the hemp and cannabis and cannabinoid uh, industry. So as the CEO of a cannabis IP and first ever public benefit company in the hemp and cannabis industry. Ojai Energetics' Will Clyden is responsible for the innovative and sustainable commercialization of cannabis. In fact, Ojai Energetics has developed a robust IP catalog and holds 80% of the current patents related to the cannabis plant, which is incredible. So now additionally though, Ojai Energetics is also working to develop different types of technology using hemp, including a supercapacitor that might be used for rocket propulsion systems and electric vehicles. Now, he's also looking into how cannabinoids may even help astronauts in deep space travel. So this is gonna be a super in-depth conversation and Will, Ojai Energetics is just, it seems like you're involved in a little bit of everything. So talk to me about your background and kind of what led you to develop Ohio Energetics. Um, so I've always been um, passionate about nature uh, and I'm also innately a systems thinker, which um, means I see patterns and connectivity of different things that, that may not be inherently visible uh, without that systems approach. And I, Started the company actually as a my senior project uh, at college, as my major was sustainable community development <clears throat> and the minor in holistic health. And uh, I knew I wanted to create uh, a, a catalyst and a, and a vehicle that could take care of natural systems, human systems, and be financially viable, uh, which is what led us to the, the public benefit corporation model. And I was actually looking for a CBD product. I thought I had to get it at a dispensary. I'd met one of the godfathers of the modern CBD genetics, uh, Ringo, uh, a few years earlier. And it was the end of 2013 uh, and was Googling it and it popped up on an Amazon banner. And I was, was very curious on how that was legal. Triple check that it was actually Amazon, it was. Uh, I ordered it, it showed up in my mailbox, and I said, okay, this is curious. Let's do some due diligence on how uh, this is possible. This is pre-2014 Farm Bill. And it was it was using kind of the loophole of, of, of non-domestically grown cannabis plants and just the stock and stem extract. That particular product didn't have a C of A, it was filled with synthetics. It was actually being generated from Chinese industrial hemp, which Cannabis is an exceptionally good phytoremediator, meaning it will clean dirty soils. However, you don't want to eat that particular hemp if you've cleaned heavy metal soils. So um, did not want to take that product. And I thought, okay, someone's got to be making a, a, a clean product that has proper science and and, and uh, purity standards. And, and I couldn't find anything at that point. So that was the catalyst of, I'd been studying permaculture design, which is a systems design science typically used for um, agronomic systems, but I applied it and you can use it for economic systems, business systems. So that's kind of the, the approach I took uh, in launching OHI. Um, 
met a chemist through serendipity and he had figured out how to solubilize cannabinoids. I said, that's awesome. Can we do this with non-synthetic technology? And he said, I don't think so. I said, okay, let's figure out how we can. Uh, and, and we did. And so I grew up in Silicon Valley, knew through reputation of a law firm called Wilson Sonsini, Good Richard Rosati, uh, being the top IP shop for life science and tech that represented Apple, Oracle, um, Mylan, uh, and I, I approached them uh, and we were the first cannabinoid and cannabis company that they, they accepted. We did an intellectual property analysis of the landscape back at, in 2014 and it was virtually untouched. And what had been done was not done with a high level of sophistication at all. Uh, and so subsequently for the past over seven years now, uh, we've been working to build out the IP catalog. Uh, I get to invent and work with great experts with PhDs in molecular biology from Harvard and uh, engineering from Stanford. Um, and so we've really taken that systems design approach and, and built the company as an IP holding code, designed it as a hub and spoke model where we create these sub codes and, and license the IP into them and bring in the experts in those fields. And uh, yeah, it's been an amazing and just ex exhilarating uh, journey. The plant never ceases to amaze me. Um, yeah, I can't agree more. And I'm so glad to hear you talk about your concerns in terms of phytoremediation. I'll tell you, I've been involved in the cannabis industry now for about five years, and that literally has been one of my biggest concerns with hemp legalization. I grew up on a farm in Iowa. I watched my parents uh, use chemicals on those fields, use chemicals and, and pesticides and things in our gardens. And then I lost both my parents to lung cancer. So it's one of those things that I'm, I'm very aware of, you know, the, the practices that go on in the Midwest and opening up this hemp um, cultivation. It, it worries me about what we're consuming these first few years as, as hemp starts to clean up those soils in, in places like that. So I'm really glad to, to hear you talk about that. But one of the things that I really wanna get into here um, is talking about your corporation as a public benefit corporation. Can you explain a little bit about what a public benefit corporation is? Because I'll be honest, this was the first time I had ever heard of it. And so I'm really anxious to hear from your perspective what it is and what was your deciding factor to kind of set up your business in that in that format? Um, yeah, so they are uh, at this point not super new, but basically fairly new uh, vehicle or company structure. Uh, there, there was, um, I think it was the 60s, uh, a, a law shifted where the sole duty of a company was to maximize profit for shareholders. Before that, there, there's less of an environmental um, concern with a lot of companies. However, there was always kind of an ingrained social service uh, and with that ruling, it, it shifted these the entities to essentially create sociopathic uh, companies that, that where they legally were bound to cut corners that may damage the environment or damage people or not be good for, for other communities, uh, but they are legally bound to then maximize profit for shareholders. So uh, the Benefit Corporation um, is this vehicle that enables a public company or when you go public, that there's an operating charter that actually uh, binds the company, not just for maximizing profit for shareholders, but also having uh, an environmental and socially responsible uh, focus. And so studying economics and, and, and realizing that 
the best way to be the change that I wanted to see and see regenerative systems take place and a more abundant society for everyone, uh, there was no better model than using the benefit corporation uh, as, a, as, a, as a, a vehicle. So our charter is to holistically benefit all life, including the planet uh, through our, and people through our products, services, ventures, and collaborations. How fantastic. You see, and I, I didn't even know that that type of business existed. And I think it's absolutely wonderful to, to see that things are kind of shifting to encourage businesses to take some of these more environmentally friendly, although they might not be the cheapest route, at least they're taking into consideration nature and conserving things for future generations. So I love to hear that. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. And before we dive into all of this really fascinating science stuff that you have going on over there, let's talk first about your IP catalog, because clearly this is um, kind of big news, I think, right now in the cannabis industry in terms of, of, of gaining this IP and getting an early lead in the industry. And obviously, Ojai Energetics has that early lead. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so the... Uh, Ultimately, the cannabis plays in multiple arenas. Um, it's not segmented to just a consumer play. It's also got life science, med tech, industrial. Um, it really has the ability to uh, positively shake up practically every industry. Um, and with that, you're going to see, uh, particularly in life science and other industries, that, that you cannot operate in those arenas without a heavy IP um, presence. And so people were due to the stigmatization, people ignored um, those fields with how it interfaced with cannabis. And so we were at the right time able to go in and really take a, uh, being a systems designer, take a systems approach and you're planning for the long uh, haul. So I, I liken it to, we were playing chess when many people were playing checkers. Um, and so we uh, uh, first and foremost took that priority. Now it's more expensive, uh, and, and however, in the long run, it's it's going to definitely be the right play to have made. Um, and so we developed it, ranging from consumer tech. We've got multiple patents issued in the U.S. Uh, for that cover extensively any encapsulated cannabinoid product, any liquid product. Uh, also issued in Canada, Australia. And it ranges from consumer to med tech, life science, uh, all the way into industrial. And you touched on with with supercapacitors, uh, and then also uh, in in the biotech arena, like space travel. And um, we we also figured out the antidote to THC intoxication, uh, where we can get an individual completely sober from THC in about five minutes under the current format. Uh, and that patents issue that's exciting because a lot of people. The, the, the one critique with legalization is concern of invalid of, of animals uh, eating edibles. And, and unlike humans, who we have this kind of built in safety mechanism, uh, dogs do not have this. They do have endocannabinoid systems and they actually have way more receptor sites and they lack this um, process that floods the brain when there's too much agonization of, of THC uh, that shuts down that activity on the CB1 receptor. Uh, and, and humans have this very, very hard to, to approach. You have to have exceptionally high dosages to get that. But uh, with dogs, it, it, there's kind of a silent issue of, of, of multiple dog deaths uh, in every state uh, from cardiac arrest and seizures. And so um, uh, a, a valid 
uh, critique and then also for for people i think i think everyone knows someone who uh if they didn't directly experience it knows someone who's had a very challenging experience with particularly edibles uh and, and whilst they're perfectly safe um they may feel like they're dead and so uh, they end up in many cases calling emergency services who have actual real life threatening uh issues to deal with and it clogs that system and currently the, the current standard of care uh is to put someone in an er room which is not equipped for this uh and and look at their tachyatric heart rate uh, give them benzos and hold them for eight hours and uh now all of a sudden you're dealing with someone who was not having a a, a real medical emergency whatsoever getting uh, introduced to benzos, which which absolutely can cause addiction and severe uh, damage. So it's a real, <clears throat> um, when, when people try and critique it, so that, that was a focus and we, and we actually figured out how to effectively and safely completely shut down activity of THC in CB1 and on the serotonin receptors, which it also targets and you are completely sober. Uh, so we're very excited about that one. And, there's uh we don't have time to get it but yeah we, we definitely uh it's never boring here when we get to innovate and right no and i i think that's phenomenal i'll tell you i started my industry or i started my career in this industry as a bud tender and it never failed and it was usually tourists that would come in and they would buy their edibles and of course they would eat too many <laughs> and, and, and they don't know what to do. And, and I think it's great that, that there's products out there now that are being developed. And like you said, it is a burden on the emergency care system when all they really do is, is try to help people relax and, and hydrate them. I, I think hydrating is, is probably one of the, the key factors there too. But I used to call it the alcohol mentality when I was working in the industry because people would get too much, um, they would start to feel the, the effects too heavily and they would get that alcohol mentality that I need to eat something. And so as they reach for that greasy piece of pizza or those French fries that adds lipids into their system, it actually increases how much they, they take in and it makes the problem worse. And, and you know, I, I've said for a long time that there, there needs to be a better way to, to communicate these kinds of things with, with consumers. And I'm, I'm glad to see that products are being developed to help people out of those situations because you're right. It can be terrifying, especially for someone that's never experienced it before and, and doesn't understand what's happening. So I, I'm thrilled to hear that there's products like that that are being released. Now, another one that I want to talk that's kind of related to that is let's talk about the, um, the patent that you have for the psilocybin and encapsulated CBD. So you're talking about this for possible mental health treatment. So what, tell me more about this. Um, yeah. So we, we, we also have a, a, a large portfolio related to psychedelics for uh, life sciences uh, at the moment. And um, so similar to uh the mechanism of action that works for the THC intoxication, uh, a, a bioavailable format of cannabidiol uh, is, is part of that. And then also for, and then for THC, it's also pregnenolone and being able to get pregnenolone into the brain. So that combination, the CBD binds to uh, a serotonin receptor 5-HD2A, which is what is, gives the cannabis the psychedelic edge. Uh, whereas CB1 is what gives the stoned effect. So if you get sufficient amount of cannabidiol into the body, 
if you eat it, if you're eating it, you're most people, I'd say 99% of the population have actually never taken an effective dose of CBD. Now, if you combust it, the bioavailability is such that they, they could get it. Um, but that's part of it. And then the pregnenolone shuts off the CB1 and you're sober. Uh, now with, with psychedelics, psilocybin binds to the same receptors that THC does in 5-HD2A. And so that receptor site has a, a separate docking site that the CBD binds to and it shuts down the activity there. Uh, and so that mechanism um, is an effective, totally safe way to shut down the psychedelic component. Uh, whereas with the psilocybin, it's also gonna be targeting the 5-HD1 receptor, which is uh, has some of its uh, antidepressant and, and other benefits. And so you can have essentially a, a psychedelic light version uh, and, and, and I believe that the full psychedelic experience is absolutely part of the therapeutic benefit for many, but uh, there's also usage where people who do not want to go through that or can't, um, this is going to serve a way to have uh, the health benefits without the high. Right. I would assume this would be good for patients that might be looking to to microdose, maybe to maintain or to to treat symptoms of PTSD or maybe chronic anxiety, just a, a, a light dose to, to kind of help maintain mental stability. Is that kind of how you intended this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's different, uh, there's multiple uses, but but um, if for 5-HD1 is, a, and, and the reality is our brains are very, very complex. We're, we're talking about complex systems and Current medicine's looking at typically just like a single point of lock and key, and, and it's often much more complex than that. But the um, that particular receptor site that psilocybin does bind to, that CBD will actually enhance the binding on 5-HD1, is demonstrated for antidepressant, uh, also neuro neuropathic pain. Um, and then the 5-HD2 is, is the, the receptor responsible for the psychedelic experience. So yeah, for people who do not want to go through a psychedelic experience, but get the antidepressant and other benefits, uh, it's going to work very, very well for them. That's fantastic. I love to hear developments like that because I truly do believe that there is so much to be explored in terms of plant medicines and, and you know, the medicines that are being derived from mushrooms. There's just so much for us to learn. And, and I think it's been phenomenal that we're finding ways to incorporate these different compounds into our regimen without necessarily experiencing the effects that, that might incapacitate us. Or, you know, I, I just think it's great to see the development of these and starting to understand more about how they work with the human body. It's phenomenal. And, you know, the final thing that I want to talk about that's just so fascinating to me, and, and I, I, I'm excited to hear more about this, is, is your work with developing cannabinoids to help astronauts. So talk a little bit about that project for me. Uh, so the endocannabinoid system's primary function, right, is to maintain homeostatic balance for our body, which means to ensure that every system is operating at the right level and in harmony with every other system. So you can liken it to the conductor of the body symphony. Um, and one of the ways that it maintains homeostatic balance is to buffer oxidative stress. And as modern humans, we're undergoing more oxidative stress than any generation of our ancestors. Uh, and so having a healthy endocannabinoid system is absolutely critical to optimize our functioning and, and, and bodies and, and living on the planet. Now you add in terrestri going extraterrestrial travel, the amount of oxidative stress 
that comes from space is even is is, is much much greater. And so having a functioning endocannabinoid system is absolutely vital. You're going to need um, to nourish it with a higher degree uh, for space travel, and, and space travel is becoming a reality uh, very rapidly. And so uh, we built the patents for that, and they're excited to have uh, cannabinoids in space. That is phenomenal. <laughs> I, I just love, I, I don't know, it just seems like so many things now are, are on this cutting edge of technology. And it's just so interesting to hear the various different ways that, that people are looking into how cannabinoids can be useful for, for humans. And, and I love it. Now, that's not the only thing that you're working on, though, that's kind of quote unquote, out of this world though. So you are also working to develop some semiconductors for space travel as well. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, uh, supercapacitors. And they, uh, so hemp is, or cannabis is the strongest natural fiber. Um, it's almost as strong as spider silk. And because of that carbon arrangement, it turns out when you carbonize it, it is extremely effective at energy storage. So right now, the majority of supercapacitors are generated using coconut shells, uh, which are nowhere near the same strength as cannabis fibers. Uh, and so at Bench, it's been demonstrated to outperform graphene supercapacitors, uh, and, and we can generate them for less than 1% of the cost, which has been the gating item for graphene super caps from rolling out. So the implications here are quite immense. Um, and these uh, Canadian scientists figured this out at bench, but they couldn't figure out how to scale it. Uh, and so we brought in a PhD from Stanford and we did figure out how to scale it, built the physics, built the patents, and then built the utility. So uh from powering rockets for space to satellites to cell phones to quantum computing even bitcoin mining uh renewable energy grids cars uh that's in our portfolio and we actually brought this to the department of energy and lawrence berkeley labs uh they looked at the physics and got very excited and so we're in what's called a crata working relationship with them and um we're looking to kick off that process before the end of the year uh, and then very soon after that, have full commercial scale. Uh, and so the energy grid for California, for example, we generate more than enough energy from solar to power the whole grid. The problem isn't the energy coming in, it's the ability to store it. And uh, graphene supercaps have a high enough capitance as a technical phrase to, to handle off peak hours where if there's demand and it surges right now, we have to fire up coal or use other sources to fill that gap. Whereas if we had sufficient energy storage through supercapacitors, one of the properties of supercaps is that they can store energy very, very quickly and they can also release it extremely quickly. Uh, and they would be the perfect solution for the grid. But the problem being that uh, graphene supercaps cost about $2,600 an ounce. Uh, and so it's, that's been the gating item for kind of the, the superpowers of graphene. Uh, and given the bench modeling of showing it's, and, and, and we can generate it for under 1% of that cost, it's going to open up uh, a truly uh, whole new level of technological innovations and, and, and access 
uh, for renewable energy systems. Wow. You know, it's, it's just so fascinating to me that the only question that really comes to mind after hearing that is, is, is there anything really that hemp can't do? You know, it just seems like there are so many possibilities for the cannabis plant from products like this to, to materials for clothing, to materials for building, to consumable products. It just seems like there's absolutely nothing that hemp can't do. It is probably the strangest plant I've ever come across. Uh, it's so multifunctional. And if you're going to take a plant to space, uh, it would be that plant. Uh, and it really can enable us to um, shift in this. I, I believe we're entering a new epoch of, 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 of technological shift and, 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 and we're ever approaching. Our goal is to be a catalyst to be one of the drivers to help us get to a, a, a much more equitable and abundant and harmonious symbiotic uh, society in relation to ourselves as humans as all other life forms in the planet. Um, and it's fascinating. If you look back, I mean, we've been living in the anomalous period of prohibition uh, of the past hundred years. But you look at the history of hemp, it has been there at every epoch shift uh, for millennia. Uh, don't have recorded data from Paleolithic, but in agricultural at the beginning of that uh, stage, you had a massive uptick of oxidative stress. Uh, cannabis was there to be able to be, be a micronutrient complex to nourish our endocannabinoid system to handle that uh, associated uptick of oxidation. And then with its fiber properties, you look at exploration and nautical development, the term canvas, is the etymology of canvas is cannabis, uh, made its way through the Silk Road. The Scythians brought it to the Greeks and to the Romans. And then anywhere they colonized, they brought it. They brought it to uh, the Europeans. And anywhere they colonized, they brought it. And and, and so from nautical exploration of, of, of with its antimicrobial and strength properties for, for sails and for ship ropes, then going into the industrial uh, age, it was uh, lubrication for equipment, uh, uh, fuel for diesel engines. And again, it, it was able to provide the technological advancements for the next era and simultaneously provide the micronutrient complexes to handle that stress from that uptick. And now here we are in this artificial endocannabinoid deficiency from prohibition. Finally, we're coming out of it. And it, here she is again as, as the plant providing us these technological upgrades and then simultaneously the, the, the necessary micronutrients to uh, adapt in the age of, of information in the fourth industrial revolution. So it's, it's, it's such a spectacularly strange and wonderful plant. Right. And, and what, a, what a spectacularly strange and wonderful time to be a part of the industry. You know, it's, it's just very fascinating to me to be involved in this and to be on this cusp and to see all of these changes and, and things that are happening. It's, it's just absolutely phenomenal and, and fascinating for me. Now, in addition to all of these other projects that you have going on in terms of the supercapacitors and, and working on the research and the IP, you also have a line of consumer products. Do you want to tell us kind of what differentiates? Do you want to tell us what kind of differentiates your products from the others in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that, that, that was kind of our, our, our flagship spoke. Um, so we, by, we, we figured out how to, uh, encapsulate cannabinoids in little bubbles of water at the same particle size that our body 
naturally encapsulates fats and cannabinoids when we eat a fat-soluble format, which is about 40 nanometers. Um, when you eat a regular fat, your body cannot absorb it. And so it has to sit in the gut. And then once the body says, yes, this is something I want to let into the bloodstream and, and, and the body, uh, it then secretes bile, which then nano encapsulates the cannabinoids in, in little water bubbles. And they can pass through the water layer, which is like the gatekeeper and enter the body. Now that process uh, is very inefficient for cannabinoids. It's, the technical term is they've got very poor bioavailability. And so if you eat 20 milligrams of uh, CBD, only two milligrams in best case scenario actually make it into the body that can be used. 90% are typically destroyed. Uh, and so, and it takes about 30 minutes, which is why edibles tend to take at minimum 30 minutes before the user will feel them. Uh, particularly with cannabidiol, even with a full spectrum complex, which is what we only work with uh, and, and broad in some cases. But um, the clinical data demonstrates that, that to properly engage the endocannabinoid system, the bare minimum that some of the outlier data shows about 250 milligrams, but the real data kicks in around 500 milligrams and goes way up from there for effective endocannabinoid system engagement from CBD which means most people have never taken anywhere near that. That's eating a ton of oil and it'll be very much cost prohibitive. Uh, and so with our process that's, that we figured out, um, we bypass that stage altogether. The second that it touches the mucosa membrane, it gets into the body and it's really usable. And so users will actually feel um, the benefits and the effects. It, most users report in under 30 seconds. Uh, and they can actually get an effective dose. And so uh, all the time we hear from people saying like they didn't think CBD works, which makes a lot of sense. I think most people are getting placebo, uh, which is great, but it pales in comparison to properly nourishing your endocannabinoid system. And so they, they go, oh my God, I didn't know that CBD actually works. And so we're able to provide that using only certified organic plants, which is really important to us that it's uh, pure and safe. We actually we're the first company in the, in the hemp CBD side to post third-party batch testing per batch um, back in 2014 for not just the cannabinoid levels and terpene levels, but also heavy metal content, volatile organic chemicals, uh, pesticides, herbicides, uh, and microbials. So the consumer can know exactly what they're putting in their body every single time. And we're, we're very happy that the industry is starting to follow on with that. Um, we'd like to see more of that adopted. But yeah, it's uh, we're able to... We changed the game with that, and uh, it's uh, it's an exciting journey ahead. But liquid formats, and we're also going to be our technology and our patents are, are cover not not just the organic methods, but that's what we offer because it's what's responsible, um, and it's also for all cannabinoids. And so uh, we're going to be doing a project up in Canada with a large public alcohol company for one minute onset strain specific THC beverages. We're also going to be uh, rolling that out likely in, in Colorado soon uh, with minute onset edibles and also strain specific uh, edibles, which is a big, big deal. Um, and because the terpenes are really driving the show in terms of the user experience, I liken the cannabinoids to be like the, the engine of the train, but the, the terpenes are the conductors. Now, terpenes are even less bioavailable than cannabinoids are through oral ingestion. So a cookie tends to be a cookie. People will market sativa or, or indica edibles, but uh, in reality, they're pretty much just getting 11 hydroxy delta 9 uh, effect. But from combustion, you can really get this nuanced effect of, of 
uh, you know, couch lock or uh, high energy, all those nuances. And so our technology enables that user experience to actually get a strain specific result through a beverage or a edible format. And even with our elixirs on, on, on our supplement side with, with, with full spectrum CBD, you can uh, take the product and then smell an essential oil and shift where the cannabinoids go on the spot. So you can smell peppermint and the menthol terpene is going to direct the uh, CBD towards the adenosine receptors and it will give it uh, a, a alert producing, whereas you can then smell lemongrass and the myrosine will interact because the timing syncs up with the immediate absorption. Um, and the myrosine will then drive the, the effects to be more sedative. Uh, and so we can effectively create uh, mood on demand for the users. And then also we have uh, the, the patents for AR, VR in conjunction with cannabinoids. So you could walk into a, a landscape and then have a visceral through terpenes and, and the immediate absorption of the cannabinoids biochemically shift your mood with a new uh, realm that you're in, in VR, AR. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's exciting. It sounds like it. There, There's just so much that that can be developed and, and that is being developed. And as we learn more and, and, you know, my, my statement in the last year or so has been, can we just finally lift the veil? <laughs> can we just make this federally legal so we can actually have the good research that we need and, and start to really, you know, kind of open up that door and really turn things loose. And, and that kind of segues into my final question for our interview today. And, and that's just to look into your crystal ball and tell me, what do you see in the future for the cannabis industry in general? What's on the horizon? And then what's on the horizon for Ojai? Uh, so that's a great question. Um, I, I definitely think that with this new administration, it's, uh, it's not if, it's when. Um, and it's well overdue, although it's very exciting that's happening in our lifetimes. Um, and so I, we'll, we'll see some form of, at bare minimum, uh, hunting to states' rights, but no longer having any issue with federal uh, level, uh, hopefully all the way to, uh, eventually, it's, I'd say if you really want to look forward into the future of the cannabis industry, uh, although it's a little unique with both the recreational and then also medical benefits, but the, um, the alcohol industry is the perfect model of, of where things are going to likely head. Uh, and with that, you, you're going to see commoditization, uh, to a degree. And, and then just like wine, you've got users of two buck Chuck, but you also have terroir driven grapes. And, uh, I believe that that is going to be inevitable with cannabis as well. And not just, with flavor, like you get with terroir, unique to cannabis, is the terpenes actually viscerally, like we were just talking about, drive user experience. Uh, and so that's going to be really exciting and, and get to see that develop more and more. Um, and then for us, I mean, we've got our hands full right now. Uh, we're going to continue to keep innovating. See, we'll see more in, in, in med tech and personalized medicine and uh, individual payload delivery of cannabinoids for, for users. And, um, eventually our goal, you know, if we hit our, hit our, our, our vision and mission, we'll have it where, uh, we're living in a totally different society and planet and, and much more abundance for everyone. I mean, that it's, we're not that far off. You look at 3d printing technologies, which we also have IP in, like you can 3d print a house out of concrete right now. Uh, very, very, 
affordably and, and rapidly. And we're at kind of the Zach Carson cell phone stage of 3D printing. Uh, Moore's Law is going to kick in and we're going to see it get much more efficient and, and affordable. Hempcrete obviously can be uh, utilized in this and have bulletproof, waterproof, antimicrobial, fireproof housing that's carbon sequestering. And um, our dream is you can, hemp will be growing everywhere and you can print your battery from the cloud for free eventually uh, and print your, your car in your house. And uh, what's cool is we're actually not that far off from that. It, it's the, one of our, my good friends is Stephen Kotler and uh, he's an advisor to the company. Uh, I highly recommend his trilogy with Peter Diamantes. Uh, bold abundance and the future is faster than you think. Um, inspirational and and and, and mind boggling. Uh, and so we're we're honored to be part of that kind of journey and uh, trajectory with humanity. And um, also we're doing uh, human performance. We're doing the first studies on humans for cannabinoids and flow state with Stephen. His new book is called The Art of the Impossible. Uh, it's all about optimizing uh, human performance and flow. Um, and we're getting some pretty incredible data accumulating on how important the endocannabinoid system is with flow state. Uh, and so uh, we look forward to a world where more and more people have readily access entry points into flow. Uh, flow is also called like the zone, but it, it, they did a study um, with Deloitte showing executives in flow uh, two days of work was the equivalent output of five days of work of the same employee outside of flow. We're talking about 400% gains of human performance, creativity, and also uh, the, the happiest people on the planet uh, have the highest amounts of flow state. So if we can get people more into flow, we can increase uh, collaboration and synergy and happiness. And so that's what I see as the future for the planet as well. That's exciting for me because I gotta tell you, as a writer, flow state is is part of uh, part of my daily routine. So I'm always always thrilled to to hear about ways to improve flow state and and to increase your productivity in those in those moments. So I think that's absolutely phenomenal. So where can our listeners get in touch with you? Where can they order your products? How can they reach out to Ohi Energetics if they want to talk to you about something that you have going on? Yeah, uh, so all the normal social channels um, and then our website's ohienergetics.com. Uh, we'd love to talk to everyone and answer any questions we can. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. We, uh, oh, one, one thing that, that, that's cool, um, if you want a little flow hack, uh, you can do light exercise uh, for about 15 minutes. And that creates the technical term is transient hypofrontality, meaning temporary blood flow loss in the prefrontal. But that's what happens at the beginning stages of flow states. So you can induce that with moderate exercise for 15 minutes. And you can take a shot of espresso and you can put our elixir in it. The espresso will emulate the stress response. And then the, the cannabidiol, particularly if you add uh, citrus terpenes or pine terpenes, you smell that after you drink it. Uh, will biochemically uh, push you and hack you uh, into a flow state. Uh, 
That's phenomenal. And I, I love all the talk about the terpenes. That's something that I'm very, very interested in. You know, I live out here in the in the mountains in Colorado. We have pine trees all around us and pining is something that uh, that's very fascinating to me too. And in, in just in terms of alertness and creativity and all of the things that it can do there. So I, I love all this talk and Will, it's been absolutely fascinating having you on the show today. I am absolutely enthralled with everything that you have going on over there. And we're so excited to see more innovations coming from Ojai. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate your time today, Will. Thank you.